I'm Pastor Brad, and uh, I would love to meet you afterwards. I'll be in the foyer by the information desk just for a little while because I do have to slip downstairs. I've got dual, a dual job. I've got a lot of jobs today. I'm, I'm wearing a few hats. Aaron mentioned the, the dessert auction we're having. This, all the proceeds goes towards Bible quizzing. And it is, uh, we love Bible quizzing at APC, amen? I don't mean to belabor a point, but that was pretty weak. All right, I'm going to try it again. I caught you off guard, I know. We love Bible quizzing here at APC, don't we? That's what I thought. That's what I thought. And so everybody that can, come on downstairs. It's anything but dessert. Of course, we do a dessert one for the ladies in the spring. But in the fall, we do this for Bible quizzing. Raises great money, sends these kids to all these tournaments. And uh, you couldn't put your dollars in a better place than investing them in the word of the Lord in children. Somebody say amen if you believe that. Amen. Praise God. So uh, join us and, uh, and you will be blessed. And I just, I mean, I don't want to throw down the gauntlet, but I mean, I've got the mic, so I might as well say it. I expected my biscuits and gravy to go for big bucks. Not to put any pressure on anybody, but I'm expecting. Amen. I have faith that the Lord is going to come through. Amen. We do want to pray. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm a little out of sorts. I got, got excited about being up here. There's a prayer request right there. Somebody grab that for me. Thank you, Brother Allen. Brother Allen, he keeps me. When I don't have a handkerchief, I don't have a mint, man, he just keeps me. I love him. Uh, we want to pray for Carrie today. Uh, she's got cancer in her body, and she's reached out to this church. Amen. Saying, I believe that, that if you'll pray, God will help me. And she reached out to the best place. Reached out to the right place. We've seen God heal cancer. Amen. Praise God. We've seen it. That's just something we prayed for. We've seen it. So lift your hands. Would you pray for Carrie right now? Father, in your name, we pray for Carrie. We pray over her body. We pray against every malignant cell in her body in Jesus' name. God, we call health and strength to her blood and to her body in the name of Jesus. Lord, for one, one purpose, Lord, that you would receive all the glory and the honor that it would be a great testimony to the working of you in the lives and the hearts and the bodies of mankind. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you believe God's going to heal Carrie, I want you to clap your hands and give God praise like we've got a praise report that she's healed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. Looking for a good report in the case of Carrie. Amen. If you have your Bibles today, why don't you join me? And let's look at Luke chapter 19. Now, I realize Aaron's already told me there's a, there's a feast, you know, fixing to happen. Amen. And so that is, uh, and he's very excited about it. Um, but I know that at times that could be distracting. But can you hang with me just for a minute? Just a couple of minutes. I've got something I want to share with you from Luke chapter 19 and verse 2. And if you're not there, you don't have your Bible or it's, you know, you can't figure out the app, whatever it is for you, it's right up here. So let me read it to you. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus. You're getting it. You're, getting, you're doing so good. You're doing so good. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd. 
for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into, the, into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today, I must stay at your house. Wow. So he did what everybody ought to do when Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. He made haste. He didn't say, okay, I'll get, no, no. He, he, he came straight down. He came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, there's always a they. Isn't there always a they? A they getting in the way, amen? When they saw it, some of the crowd, they all complained saying, he's gone to be with a guest, to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood there in his house and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give all, give half of all my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusations, if, I, if I've cheated anybody, I'll restore them four times as much, four score, fourfold, four times as much as I cheated them out of. And Jesus says to him, today, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. And then he makes this statement, folks, that, give, that gave help to Zacchaeus and gives hope to everybody that listens today. Here's what he said. He said, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I want to preach to you today, to everybody, listen to me. I want to preach to you about the real results of real faith. The real results. There is so much forgery and fake. And you got to wonder at times when you look at what has God's name on it and say, I don't know about that. But let me just tell you, there is a real presence and a real move of God for really hungry people. And I want to preach to you about that today, about real faith that brings real results. Would you lay your Bibles down, lift your hands to heaven? Let's ask the Lord to help us. Would you help me pray? Help me pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this great group. God, this beautiful, such precious people that you have gathered together. God, I am honored, so honored that you would let me, Lord Jesus, speak your word to these folks. Now, God, as, as a body of believers, as people that are just trying to find you, Lord. I pray that you would open up our hearts. God, that you would open up our minds. God, that anything that we brought in, any ideas, any attitudes, Lord, that might get in the way, I pray that all of those would fall and that our hearts and our minds would be completely open to everything that you want to say to us. And God, I, I commit as far as I can, Lord, me, and I pray that everybody in this building, God, would commit right now in prayer that what you speak to me, what you speak to me, God, I'll not only hear it, but Lord, I'll take action about it. And I'll praise you for what you're going to do in the name of Jesus. Everybody said amen. amen. Clap your hands to the Lord. Let's praise him for his word. Thank you, Jesus. Your word is forever settled in heaven, God. It is so stable in this unstable world. Thank you, Jesus, for it. 
The Lord bless you. You've been standing a long time. Be seated. In Jesus' name. I'm just going to tell you, lost doesn't always mean lost. When I think of lost, I think of things I can't find. Think of keys and all that kind of stuff that gets misplaced. Somebody today gave my wife and I uh, like half a dozen muffins. And for a little while, we lost them. But don't worry, we found them. Don't go hunting for them. You lose things. Don't know where they're at. But this, this word lost was much greater than just not knowing a geographical location or trying to find something that was no longer around. Jesus spoke deeper than that when he made this statement. The Son of Man, it was a, a term that he used for himself, a messianic term that ascribed him the title of the Messiah that the Jews were looking for. He said, the Son of Man has come to seek, yes, to find, but also to save that which was lost. If you do a further study, you dig a little bit deeper, you find out that this word in the original Greek that, that, that Luke was written in, it actually means destroyed. So it's not just about something being gone and out of sight, but still intact. Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to find that which was, yes, removed from his geographical location, but also destroyed. Also torn apart, if you will. Now, now listen to me. Yes, it does mean discouraged, and loss can mean discouraged, and lost, and in the terms that we think of, especially spiritually, it can mean discontented. There are lost people that are disappointed, and people that are lost in the context of being disconnected from God, and disconnected from God's people spiritually, but it is more than that. When Jesus talks about lost, he's talking about people whose faith has been dismantled, lost in connection to him. Like losing something physical more than it just being gone. But, use it, but losing its usefulness to you. Losing your authority to see after it. Losing your ability to care for it. So when Jesus was describing what he came to do, I want you to understand, he wasn't just saying, man, I don't know where these people are at. Listen, God knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly where you're at. He knows where you've been. He knows where you're going. The Bible says he knows the very hairs upon your head. He knows everything about you. I just want to leave you with a breath of relief today. God is not saying, finally they showed up. Now they came to church. Now I know where they're at. No, listen. He knows everything about you. But being lost is more than you just being in a church somewhere. Being lost is more than you just being at the right place at the right time. Being lost in a spiritual sense is being destroyed. Destroyed from the relationship that you should have and he intends for you to have with him. Destroyed from your usefulness in his kingdom. Destroyed from the ability for him to care for you and to live in you. And because of where he said it and because of the context in which he said it, Here's what we discern from our story, and that is this, that Zacchaeus was destroyed. He was destroyed in that sense. He was lost. 
Jesus, the whole, the whole meaning of this phrase that Jesus says, it's the summary of everything that just happened, everything that we read. Jesus kind of took it and said, here's your takeaway. I've come to seek and save that which was lost and destroyed. There was a they, yes, there was a they that were saying, why is he hanging out with this guy? Why is he around him? Doesn't he know what he does for a living? Doesn't he understand what his background is? And Jesus, in so many words, said, yes, I completely know who he is, and I completely know his background. And here's the reason why I'm here. He's lost, he's destroyed, and I came to take back what rightfully belongs to me. Can I tell somebody today, if you know Jesus, there was a time in your life where he walked in. Now listen, if you're looking for a time to say amen and jump up and scream, Here's where it's coming. There was a time in your life where you were lost to him. You were destroyed from his spiritual presence. But does anybody here, for the sake of somebody that might not know, is there anybody here that remembers the day that Jesus walked in with his presence and you were lost and you were destroyed? You were dismantled. Your faith was just crushed. There was nothing that could help you in your life. But Jesus showed up. And when he showed up, everything was different from that moment going forward. I'm just letting the cat out of the bag from the very beginning. God intends to do that for somebody in this building here today. There's some destroyed people that God said, that's not my will for you. That's not my plan for you. That's not what I ever intended for you. And I've come to seek you out. I've come to get in your face, if you want to say it that way. And restore what's been destroyed. Jesus said, that's why I came. Zacchaeus was destroyed. Now, here's the other thing we learn about Zacchaeus. In, in verse 3, put up verse 3 for me. In verse 3, here's what he said. He was just trying to see Jesus. I, I mean, we don't know any more than that. He just was trying to see Jesus. Why? Why in his current condition? You know anything about tax collectors in Jerusalem in Bible times? They're not loved. They're not religious. They're turncoats. They're sellouts. The Jews looked at them as not only traitors to them and their country, but literally traitors to God. They, blast, they were blasphemous people that disregarded God because, you know, Rome didn't serve Jehovah. Rome served multitudes of gods. And so to the Jew, for them to even side with the Roman in any way was to side with them and their belief and their faith and their spirituality. So it was more than just, hey, we don't like it because you're stealing from us. They didn't like tax collectors because they were spiritually dead. But here we find this guy this guy, this sellout, this turncoat. And the Bible said he wanted to see Jesus. What was it? I don't know. I don't know how to explain it other than when I read it, maybe there was just this, this slight glimmer of hope for Zacchaeus. Maybe he woke up one morning, no doubt. All of the city was abuzz with what Jesus had been doing. The miracles, the signs, the wonders, the teaching. There was nothing that was held back. Jesus was a rock star. And no doubt he had heard all the stories. And somewhere in the midst of his knowledge of who Jesus could be. 
There was a glimmer of hope in the mind of Zacchaeus that said, is it possible? Is it possible that if I got close to him, that maybe I could know Jehovah again? Now, I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying it's very possible. What else would drive a man of his stature? What else would drive a man of his goods and his wealth? He certainly needed nothing. He didn't need anything. He had all the money, the world, at least on the worldly perspective. He had everything that he needed. But yet, with everything, and the Bible said he was rich, with everything at his disposal, yet there was still something in Zacchaeus' life that says, why is it that I feel like I need to go find this man? And it was more than a thought. Thought was birthed to action. And the Bible says he goes out to see him, but he can't get close. He can't get close, the Bible says, on the account of the crowd. Because he was small in nature. The physical limitations of his body and who he was. Coupled with the fact that there was a crowd of humanity between him and Jesus kept him far Away, He wasn't very close. To add it to it, there's a lot of people in the way. The, the same things that keep people away from Jesus today. Distance and humanity. His own decisions as being the tax collector and the cheat had driven him far to the edges of society away from anybody that wanted anything to do with him. And then there was the other people. And that crowd was full of all kinds of people. Of people that were just like him trying to see Jesus. People that, were, that, that had heard that there was miracles happening, need a miracle in their body. And yes, there are probably some hypocrites in there. There are probably some bad apples in there because anytime humanity moves towards Jesus, you're always going to have flesh. You're always, it's not, here's what it is. There's an imperfect seed of humanity in this day and age that's trying to find Jesus. Don't get too hard on people because I'm telling you, you can't hardly avoid the fact that we're going to bump into one another. But the crowd kept him away and his distance kept him away. So what did he do? He ran on ahead as fast as his little legs could take him. And he found a sycamore tree. I wish I had a tree. I'd climb up in it. He climbed up in a sycamore tree and said he's going to pass right by here. What did he do? I'll tell you what he did. The very most he could. It was the best that he could do in his current state with his physical limitations, with the crowd that was between him and Jesus. He just said, look, this is the best I can do. I can't get through the crowd. I can't get any taller, so I'm gonna do the best I can, climb up in a tree. But can I tell you, because why, why? Because I just want to see Jesus. I don't even know why. There's people here today, you don't even know why you're showing up. There's nothing in your life. It's not like there's been a great epiphany. There's somebody here today, there's just a glimmer of hope. There's just a glimmer of hope way down deep in your soul that there is a possibility that you can walk into 2810 and you can feel and sense the presence of God and that your life could be better and be changed into his likeness. I know you're here. Just want to see Jesus. Just want to get close to him. I'll just do my best in the shape that I'm in. I'll do the best thing I can do for the shape that I am. Now, here's the good news. Are you ready? It was enough. Woo. Listen, I just threw out some good news. I don't know if you missed it or not. Let me say it again because I know some of you have got hard of hearing. Let me just put it out here one more time. His best was enough 
to get Jesus to turn to him. He, he didn't have a whole lot to offer. Nobody thought he should even be there. The crowd was in the way. Good Lord, he's on the top of a tree. But his best was enough to get the attention of Jesus. I'm here to expel, dispel any notion today that there is something, there's some, some, some large barrier that you've got to run over or get over to get to Jesus. You need to know the fact that you're here, the fact that you're looking is enough to get his attention. And here's how I know. Because of all that crowd. And I don't know if he talked to anybody else. The Bible doesn't say. But it does tell us. Out of all that crowd. Out of all the noise. Everybody with me? And all the humanity. He looked up in a tree. And said, Zacchaeus. Get down. I want to say, he said, get down before you break your leg. But it doesn't say that. But that's kind of the way I read. Get down and make haste. Because today, I'm coming to your house. He picked him out of the crowd to Jesus. And then, I love the way Jesus said it. Jesus said, for I must you hear that? Jesus looked at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was just curious. Zacchaeus just had a glimmer of hope. But Jesus said, I've been waiting on you, Zacchaeus. And today, my agenda has been determined. I must come to your house. You know what that tells me? That tells me that it wasn't Zacchaeus that was looking for Jesus. It was Jesus that was looking for Zacchaeus. And I'm here to tell you, you may be here looking for him. But the great news is, he's already been here looking for you. I must come to your house. You see, real hunger for God will always get real, real results. Jesus told us this. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Come on now. Can you get any more plain than that? He said, if I can find somebody that is pure in their heart, if I can find somebody that generally wants to know me, wants to touch me, if I can find somebody that's really hurt, that's tired of all the mess and tired of all the programs and tired of all the fake and tired of anything else that you've seen, I'm tired of all that. I just want something real. You have walked in to the right place because a real God is in this real place to give you a real touch and move in your life. And what's amazing, and, and here's a great place for somebody to say amen. What's amazing is there, there is such a great divide between our ability to reach for him and who he is. It, come on, anybody else? Anybody else? This is just me. Maybe it's just me, but when I reach for him, it seems like, Eli, it seems like there is so much space between my feeble, short little arms and the hand of God sometimes. It seems, anybody else, there's, seems like there's a great divide between him and me. But here's the great thing. He reaches down and he makes up the difference. There's an old song they used to sing. His hand reached further down than I could reach up. How many of you know there's a, there was a time where you had nowhere to go and God was far away, but he found you where you were anyway. Because the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which 
was lost. The devil would try his best and use every vice and every voice and every person to keep you destroyed, to keep you faithless, to keep you questioning, to keep you reeling in your life. But the good news is Jesus said, I'm looking and I'm saving and making a difference. Because when you get in the presence of Jesus, you tell me this is true, I'm telling you. When you get in the presence of Jesus, you'll want to make things right. See, this is a trick of the devil. To give you, and your own mind, to give you a laundry list of things that you know are going to be a problem. And so it's like, okay, i got to work on these things so that when I come to the Lord, they're kind of taken care of. Honey, you got the cart before the horse. Bro, you got the cart before the horse. Okay, you got things backwards. You've got to understand, it's, in, it's the presence of God that gives you the drive to make things right in your life. Otherwise, a moment of emotion, that's going to pass away. A moment of thinking, you know, I should, that's only going to last for a season. We, we, we'll, we'll, we'll justify lots of things, but when you give your life to the presence with the presence of Jesus to, to work in your life. It makes you want to do things right. The mere presence of Jesus, listen to me, made Zacchaeus feel bad about what he had done. Anybody read that? Oh, I know, because some of you are feeling uncomfortable. You're saying Jesus makes me feel bad? I got, listen, shell shocker, Yeah. Yeah, if, if, if you're sinning, which is a whole lot of us, don't raise your hand. The presence of God can make you feel uncomfortable at that. I mean, what should we feel these days? Anybody else confused about what you should feel? About what's right about feeling? Should I have that feeling anymore? I don't know. Is that legal to feel that way anymore? I'm not sure. Can I, can I feel that way about that? Can I... Can I call that right? Can I call that wrong? Is, is, that, is that against the law, for the law? Is that socially acceptable? Is, that, is anybody else a little confused? I can tell you our world is. Our world is very confused about how they should feel anymore. And it seems like our world is now calling right, wrong, and wrong, right. Anybody here? But let me tell you something. When Jesus comes in, that same old feeling is still true. The old timers used to call it Conviction. I've heard people say there's no guilt and shame in Christ Jesus. True, but it's in Christ Jesus. Until you come to Christ Jesus, yeah, there should be guilt. And there should, we should be ashamed of the things that God calls wrong. Oh, listen, I know. You say, you're not building up. You're not being very positive. No, I'm trying to tell you, destroyed is a state that you can't stay in. And the presence of the Lord shows up to get you out of that. Godly sorrow works repentance in our lives. It causes us to say, this is not right. If you're going to write something down today, would you write this down? It's right to feel wrong about what's wrong in my life. Would you please remember that? It's right to feel wrong about what's wrong in your life. If you're a liar... It is right to feel wrong about you not sharing truth. 
If you're an adulterer, it's right for you to feel wrong about being with someone else's spouse. It's right to be wrong about having sex outside of marriage. How do you know all this stuff about wrong? It's wrong to covet other people's things. It's wrong to hate. And it's right to feel wrong about it. Well, I'm gaining friends as I go. But I want to tell you the truth today. Wrong is still wrong, and right is still right. I know, listen, no, don't clap. I know what you're thinking. You're like, well, how do I tell what's wrong? I'm so glad you thought it, because I got an answer. The word of the Lord. It is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I don't care what society says or what bill of goods you've been sold. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, honey, listen, you need to get back to feeling wrong about what's wrong in your life. Sit down, because it looks like some of you are clapping about it, and you're excited that people are wrong. (laughs) We're not excited that you're wrong, but we agree with this. And what you see, people that are standing and people that are clapping, they're people that have felt wrong. And they've seen the benefit of saying, you know what? I know how wrong I used to be. Listen, honey, I I have got stories on people in this room. You wouldn't believe what some of these folks have done. That's why they're standing right now, because they realize how wrong they were. And then they said, you know what? I can't stay like this. They were Zacchaeuses. And they got into the presence of the Lord. And they said, look, this ain't right what I'm doing. It ain't right what I'm doing. This is not right. I'm going to give give half of my goods to the poor. And anybody that I've done wrong, I'm going to make this right. And I'm not just going to make it right. I'm going to do it four times. Nobody's going to come back to me and say that I've cheated. That's what the presence of God will do in your life. Things that you thought you could never do. Words and mindsets and, and ideas that you thought that you could never, ever embrace. All of a sudden, the presence of the Lord changes you. And you're able to be like him. Incidentally, let me just tell you, that's why we're so big on Bible quizzing. Because if we get the word of God into kids when they're four and five and six and teenagers. If you teach them the way that they go when they're old, they won't depart over it. And I know there's some of you, they're waiting. You're waiting for some to come back, but you just listen to pastor. They're coming. That word of God is not void in them. It's going to bring them up. Somebody say the word is what's right. And see, salvation, Jesus told, told Zacchaeus, he said, salvation has come to your house. And here's what I figured out. Salvation is not just a moment, it's a lifestyle. I got to thinking, Kevin, I got to thinking, how long had he been cheating people? I, we don't know. I've got it. The Bible says he was rich, so he was either really good at it or he had been doing it a long time. Or both. How long would it take to make things right? You know what I think? Maybe a lifetime. Maybe the rest of his life. And it is a wonderful model of what God does in our lives. Because salvation is not about just a moment of of, of saying I'm sorry. It's not just about a moment even of baptism and, and sins being washed away. Not even just a moment about being filled with the Spirit. While all those things are necessary, and I'll talk about that in just a second. Here's what I'm going to tell you that doesn't stop there. It's a lifestyle. It's an ongoing process, a lifetime. And when we look at it in that perspective, common distractions 
come up to deter our pursuit in Jesus. Some people have been hurt by other people. Don't raise your hands, but have you ever been hurt by somebody? Somebody that shouldn't have hurt you? Somebody that should have known better? Somebody that said they knew Jesus? And somebody that still acts like they know Jesus? And they, I'm still hurt, and they still said it, and nobody apologized? You don't have to raise your hand. Sometimes hurt gets in the way. Other times it's not hurt. You just turned around. You just turned around. You got your eyes on something else and you got distracted and it started looking better than what you were going towards with God. And, 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 and sometimes that gets in the way. I, I remember a story I heard about T.W. Barnes. He was an old prophet. He's gone on to be with the Lord. He was a, had a little church down in Louisiana, a known prophet. Everybody knew who T.W. Barnes was in the area. And there was a young man that used to go to his church when he was younger and, and later in life had been away from God for a long time. And later in life, he, he became unfortunately suicidal. And they, the police found him on a bridge. He was going to jump off the bridge and he started crying and said, you got to call Pastor Barnes. Call Pastor Barnes and get him here. And police got a hold of him and said, Pastor Barnes told him the story. You know what Pastor Barnes said? Now this is old school for you. You ready? I'm not sure you're able to take this. He said, you tell that boy, I've got nothing but an altar for him. Now, I'm going to tell you what I think. That's hard. That that sounds borderline me. I'm not sure I'm trying to go back in any of the training that I've received in these moments. And nobody said, tell them thou you got an altar. But as hard as that sounds, can I tell you, it also sounds true. Because an altar is the answer. To every problem in every life. What's an altar? An altar is a place of consecration. It's a place of commitment. It is a a place of, of change and surrender to God. It's a place of mercy and strength. It's not just these steps up here. Altars are made in pews and they're made in cars and they're made in living rooms. They're made anywhere where somebody says, Jesus, I'll climb a sycamore tree if I have to because I've got to see you for who you are. So in a sense, let me tell you, I don't care how good or how bad your life is. I've got one answer. I offer you an altar today and an altar can change you forever. Zacchaeus, in the presence of God, said, I've got to make things right. I can't let this moment pass me by. And Jesus' response was today. Salvation has come to your house because the presence of God once makes you want to be right. This is what happened in Acts chapter 2. In Acts 2, when, when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost and he was preaching the, the gospel, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, and he, he comes to his final point. I can see his notes now. Comes to his final point and says, Therefore let all the house of Israel assuredly know that the God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, if you want to learn how to make people mad, just tell them they killed their Savior. But is that what happened? Maybe for some but there was a whole lot, at least 3,000 of them, that the Bible said they became pricked in their heart. They, they, They became moved in their heart, convicted in their heart, and said, then what do we do? And Peter told them, you repent 
an altar, you repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission, the taking away of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is to you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That's why I can preach it to you today, because that promise and that solution and that antidote to the cares and the problems in our lives is still very much in effect. It's an altar where you repent. It's a baptismal tank where you're immersed in the name of Jesus Christ. It is a cleansing of every sin that you have ever committed in your life. And yes, it's a promise of the infilling of the Spirit of God within you. You want to make things right when you get in his presence. And lastly, let me conclude and tell you when you get in the presence of Jesus, you're going to want to help other people. Especially when you help in a way that really helps. Zacchaeus stood and said, Lord, I'm going to give half my goods to the poor. John 1, 1 John 3 and 16 says, by this we know love because he, Jesus, he laid down his life for us. And so we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In other words, let me simplify. It says, the love that's in you should be reaching out to others. So, so let me ask everybody today, who are you helping? Who, who are you helping right now? Well, you know, the budget's tight. Who are you helping? I'm trying to help my kids. No ribbons for that. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Well, I'm helping my, I'm helping my grandkids. No ribbons for that. That's what you're supposed to be doing. That's why today, why, you know, we, we celebrate. Part of the things that we celebrate every week, we had 18 new people at our food bank. We gave, we gave groceries away to 18 new people. We had 10 children playing on the playland. We had nine people in Bible study. We served 92 families and 274 total friends were served yesterday because this church has a mission to help people in a way that truly helps. Oh, okay, pastor, so you say, I need to go pay people's bills and meet physical needs and give money. Oh, yeah, sure, you could do that. Nothing wrong with that. That helps for a moment. And when you've got it to give it, you better give it. Because a luxury forfeited for the need met is the heart and the will of God. If you can give up something not needed for someone who truly needs something, you're modeling your heavenly father. Jesus could have kept his glory. He could have kept his dignity. He could have kept his authority. He could have kept his kingliness. But he made himself of no reputation. He came and became one of us. He gave it all up because he had something that we needed that only he could give. Sinless, precious blood to pay the price for every wrong that we ever did. But here's the thing. You've got more than money to give. You've got coaching. You've got love. You've got time, regardless of what you say. You've got mentorship. The problem with all these things is this is commitment. It's easy to write checks. I got a, a news report. I got a report. I get reports occasionally from, from church planners. I got a report from a very, very successful church planner, a guy that's got a heart for people. And I'm going to hold his name, but I'm just telling you, he is awesome. And he and his wife are doing an incredible job in a church in our state here. And here's what he said. I'll read it. He said, God is giving us precious souls, but it seems like it's people who have never learned to live life. People that stay up to three and four in the morning and then sleep all day. 
and they can't figure out that they, how, why they can't hold a job or get to church or send their kids to school. So pray for us that we could help them where they really need help. They've preached to them the gospel. They've come to Jesus, but they still need help. Listen to me. When you get in the presence of Jesus, you're going to want to help other people. You say, I don't have anything to offer. I don't know what I can do. I don't know the Bible too much. Listen to me. You can disciple someone as far as you have been discipled. Come on, don't tell me you can't tell somebody how you did it because you did it. You can't tell me you can't tell somebody how to get to where you're at because you got there. You can at least, uh, you may not have all the details, but you can fill in the blanks. I don't know much, but I know this. You got to work. I don't know much, but I know this. You probably shouldn't talk to your wife like that. Come on, women. I don't know much, but I know you should be nice. I, I don't know everything, but I know the Bible teaches that if you plan and you save, that you'll be happy and you'll be able to give more. I don't know everything, but I know that if you treat your family with respect, there'll be more unity and harmony and love and peace in your family. I don't know much, but I can tell you this. If you give God a chance, he'll change your life like he changed mine. I can't tell you everything about it. I can't give you every scripture, but I can tell you this. I used to be blind and now I can see and nobody can take that away from me. I want you to stand with me here today. When you get in the presence of Jesus, you'll want to help other people. And Jesus is here today to seek and save that which was lost to him, destroyed from his presence. So Paul would tell us in Hebrews 10 and 22, Let's draw near with a true heart and in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled, washed and clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with water is a type and shadow of baptism itself. You read Zacchaeus' story and you see the story of a man that was limited in his physical abilities you see a man that was separated by the crowd, many of who also were trying to get to Jesus. Listen to me. And he felt there was no way to come close. And I'll do the best I can do just to get a glimpse. Maybe just to feel better for today so I can face the office tomorrow. But Jesus saw him. And he saw that real faith. And he said, Zacchaeus, listen. There's more than what you think to that real faith that you are showing right now. And it's gotten my attention. And what you didn't know, sir, ma'am, is that Jesus saw you coming. He saw you coming. He knew where your heart was before you ever decided to turn to him, to give him a chance to hope for a glimmer. He already knew it. And the honest point is this. He's been waiting on you. When's he going to come? When's she going to get up in that tree? Because I must come to their house today. And if you'll come close today, I promise you, you can just forget about all the things that you're like, I don't know if I could surrender that. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know. I don't know. Just get rid of your I don't knows. Would you give God a chance to take your I don't knows for a moment? And see if he would... 
dare to walk into your heart and your mind and your thinking and maybe change how you feel about some things. That maybe in his presence you would feel different about some things than outside his presence. If you'll come close, if I was a betting man, I'd bet money on you'll want to get right. And in his presence, his heart is played out in us. We'll, we'll want to love and help everybody around us. So today, I've got nothing but an altar for you. I've got nothing but an altar and an answer. What do I do with all that? All I've got is a suggestion that you find a place, whether it's on a stair of a stage, a, a pew, a, a spot over here in the corner, a place right there where you sit, I hope it's here, but maybe even on the car ride home. Whatever it's got to be. But I'm asking you, would you try to visit an altar? Would you try to visit a place in your journey with Christ to say, you know what? I'm going to make everything that's right wrong. I want to make it right. And I want to serve the Lord. I, want, I, I, I know the chaos. I know the destruction around me. But that preacher has given me some hope. That in the midst of the destruction that I feel and I sense and I see. That there's a God that loves me enough to make sure that I don't leave this place until I at least have a chance to come see him and be in his presence. I wonder if you'd just get out of your seat. Be bold. Come on, this church, we always end this way. So you're not going to be alone. And we've got ministry leaders that will pray with you. We got people that'll help you through that journey if you want. But for right now, come on, would you just make it about you and Jesus? Don't be ashamed. There's people in all, all sorts of points and walks in their pursuit with Jesus. There's, there's things that come to every single mind here that need to be surrendered to God. Come on, just in your own way, with your own voice and your own prayers. Come on, surrender yourself to him. Come on, tell him, say, Lord, this is my altar right here. This is my place. This is my Zacchaeus moment. This is the place where I look for your heart to come alive in me. I didn't know you were looking for me so hard. I didn't know that you were trying to get my attention so badly. But I hear you now, Lord. I hear you today. Come on, that's it. If you feel comfortable, lift your hands. That's awesome. Come on, begin to worship him. That's what you do in the presence of the Lord. You can't help but worship him. And in that worship, he comes down. He makes up the gap with your hands lifted. He reaches down further than you can reach up. Come on, that's it, Zacchaeus. That's it, Zacchaeus. Reach for him. Reach for him today.